Hello and welcome to Opinionated Science, the podcast that's brought to you by Technology Networks. I'm Lucy, the scientific content producer here at Technology Networks. It's lovely to meet you and I'm excited that in today's episode we'll be talking about single cell sequencing. So before we begin, single cell sequencing, as the name implies, allows researchers to examine the genomic information for individual cells. This allows examining cell-to-cell differences and identifying cell subtypes, which provides insight into how specific cells function within and respond to their environment. In this podcast, I'm excited to say that we'll be speaking with James Eberwein, the co-director of Penn Center for Cell Biology at the University of Pennsylvania Perriman School of Medicine in Philadelphia. We'll be discussing how single cell sequencing differs from alternative methods such as bulk sequencing, its applications, the challenges associated with single cell sequencing, and where the future of this research space is heading. So you're about to hear our interview with James in full. Hi, Jim. How are you today? Oh, fine, Lucy. Good morning. It's nice to talk with you. You too. Thank you ever so much for joining me here today. Um, So I'll get straight into the basics, I guess, of can you talk to us about what single cell sequencing is and how it differs to some of the alternative methods like bulk sequencing, for example? Sure, I'm happy to. I I love this field and I've worked in the field of single cell biology for now close to 30 years. So if if I go on too long, feel free to stop me. But but yeah, single cell sequencing is an effort on the part of many people in many labs to try to sequence various components of individual cells. So I think when people think about single cell sequencing, they tend to think about the single cell transcriptome where you're sequencing the RNA from a cell. But you can also sequence the genomic DNA. There are many people trying to sequence the proteome, the lipidome, other aspects of cell biology that single cells express. So the idea of single cell sequencing is to characterize those in a quantitative manner, all the molecules within the cell. And so my, my, my specialty is with respect to the genomics, um, basically RNA and genomic DNA, but we are working with others to look at the proteome and, um, and as I mentioned, there are many other people working other, uh, on other aspects of it. One of the things that distinguishes single cell um, sequencing from bulk sequencing is the fact that you're at that level of the single cell. When you sequence in bulk, you're sequencing many cells And what happens is if you say you're doing single cell genomic DNA sequencing, perhaps there's one cell that might have a mutation in it. And if you sequence all the cells in the tissue or many cells in the tissue, you might not be able to detect that mutation above and um, above the background. And so you might miss that mutation. That's actually critically important for aspects of cancer diagnosis and um, trying to identify cells and my mutations associated with cancer. And, and so there are many other examples of how this is useful, but that's really the key, is you have the increased sensitivity associated with um, analysis of only that one single cell, as opposed to the dilution of the, the chemicals that you're trying to detect in a bulk ensemble of cells. And then, so I guess you've touched on it slightly already, but why, in your opinion, is single cell sequencing so useful? And can you tell us about just some of its applications? Yeah, no, it's it's useful in in highlighting, um, you know, the the genomic, in, in my case, the genomic content of individual cells and how one cell might differ from another cell. 
Now you can look at two cells under a microscope. Now I'm a neuroscientist and Cajal was the first person to do this. You know, one of the first people, certainly the first person to quantitate it microscopically. And cells look very similar, but they are actually quite distinct in terms of their transcriptome and potentially distinct in terms of their genome and other aspects of their biology. So to understand that variation, you really have to be able to assess um, those chemicals at the level of single cells. And so, um, single cell analysis has been used for genetic screening, um, um, looking at potential mutations um, in, in the genomes of uh, fetuses. It's been used for pre-implantation diagnostics. Mm -hmm. um, it's been used for cancer diagnosis and monitoring cancer progression. Cancer, um, you know, if somebody says that you have a particular form of cancer, uh, there can be many subdivisions of that cancer and single cell sequencing can actually help discern whether or not you have you know, subclass um, A or subclass B of that particular disease. And that can help in terms of therapeutic um, application and, and responsiveness. Um, perhaps the most important thing though for me, um, I do some work in the clinical setting, but most of the work we do in the lab is fundamental science. Um, I, I, I want to mention that I don't call it basic science because I think many people don't understand what basic science is. Mm. But um, the science that some people refer to as basic science is actually fundamental science. It's fundamental to understanding the biology of the cell, fundamental to understanding how organisms, organisms function, and fundamental for understanding normal and disease states. It's and pretty so crucial. Of, oh, ab absolutely. It absolutely is. And so um, the single cell uh, sequencing has provided fundamental biological insights into how cells work in and of themselves, but then also in connection and conjunction with other cells, creating the systems of cells that give rise to tissues and then organismal biology. This is true in the mammalian system, which is what I work in, in invertebrate systems, but also uh, across other species, including plants. Single cell um, sequencing has been used in corn and soybeans and rice. There was a single cell rice consortium um, effort to try to discern um, differences in single cells in rice in an effort to try to breed out better rice strains that would grow better in certain environments. And so this can actually be quite useful across multiple different disciplines, both in terms of, of disease um, uh, issues that we're all certainly concerned with, and then of course the fundamental science that I just referred to. And then moving more towards your research, can you tell us about more about your own research and how single cell sequencing is utilized within it? Sure, I'm, I'm happy to. And again, here you might very well have to stop me if I go on too long. <laughs> um, but it was nearly, um, nearly, it was in 1990 when we published the first single cell um, RNA analysis. And then it was in 1994 when we did the first single cell library and sequenced it. Mm -hmm. And so um, what those um, applications were, were looking at the RNA in individual cells. And the reason we wanted to do this is that, um, as I mentioned before, my lab is a neuroscience laboratory. And, and so if you wanna to try to understand how the central nervous system functions, looking at the neurons and the astrocytes and the other types of neuronal cells, um, you really want to be able to look as discreetly as possible at the cells that are associated with that particular function that you're trying to assess. And so to be able to look um, at, at a small area of the brain that I was interested in while, when I was a postdoc, to actually be able to do the types of studies that I wanted to do using standard 
molecular techniques at the time, we would have had to sacrifice literally hundreds of mice for the types of study we wanted to do. So rather than doing that, we set our goals are trying to use more sensitive, higher resolution technologies and developing those so that we could actually eventually have single cell resolution. Fortunately, we were successful with it. So what we use it for is to try to understand how neurons differ from one another, to try to understand subregions of neurons. So in neurons, um, you have the cell body where you have the nucleus of cell, which contains the genomic DNA. And then there are fine hair-like processes that come off of many neurons. Those are called dendrites. And one very long um, process called an axon. And the way the neuron, neural system works is the axon touches dendrites of other neurons and cells communicate through that mechanism. And so we wanted to try to assess what RNAs might be present in dendrites that receive axonal input from a presynaptic neuron. And so we wanted to try to use the techniques we developed to, um, to characterize those RNAs. So we've been doing that for um, uh, almost two decades now. And, um, and, and many others have been doing the same thing. Um, in addition to that, we look at um, cardiomyocytes, heart cells, and trying to understand how those cells differ from one another during cell division and in different stages of heart development. We worked with a group at USC where we looked at quail heart development. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, and it was actually a phenomenal study. Uh, it was Rusty Lansford, a professor at USC, who led this effort. And um, Rusty can image the, the cells as they're developing in a live embryo, the quail chick. And, and so we were then able to look at cells that he had identified as interesting cells based on on how they were developing and sequence them with them. And, and I think that provided some insight into how they developed through, um, um, through the, the imaging systems that, that he was able to, to employ. We have been also trying to assess different classes of RNAs within cells. So we're looking at not just mRNAs, which give rise to proteins. We're also looking at circular RNAs, the small RNAs, um, those require subcellular analysis um, and our lab was the first lab to sequence an individual mitochondria so we isolated a single mitochondria from a cell and sequenced it about two years ago wow. and, and the idea there is to look at mutations in the mitochondrial genome see how many mitochondria within a cell bear that mutation and what are the functional consequences of those mutations and in that initial paper we um, did approximately, I think, 30 individual mitochondria for that paper. Um, we have a paper that we're going to be submitting soon where we do um, over a thousand individual mitochondria that we've isolated. And we're trying to develop this into a higher throughput, uh, potentially, uh, uh, potentially useful platform for diagnostics since many neurological diseases and other types of illnesses uh, manifest as uh, correlates of mitochondrial mutations. Not that the mitochondrial mutations necessarily cause the illness, but there's certainly a correlation mm -hmm. and understanding mitochondrial uh, mutations might um, provide some therapeutic insight. That um, sounds fantastic. Yeah, no, we, we've been really, really excited about doing that. Um, I and my close colleague, Jun Young Kim, who's a computational biologist here at University of Pennsylvania, um, we're fortunate to be able to get a grant from NIH called a SEGS grant, a Center for Excellence in Genomic Sciences mm -hmm. grant. And that grant is directed towards subcellular biology. 
So in addition to looking at the mitochondria, we're looking at um, areas of, of the cells such as the lysosome to try to do the genomics of that, to try to look more in detail at the dendrites of cells, to try to look at the ER, to look at subnuclear compartments, and, and trying to develop methodologies with our colleagues that are high throughput, sensitive, high resolution, and again, helping us understand that systems biology of, of the cell. Um, the thing that's really cool about the individual cell is it's that closed contained environment. So the things you see within that cell are particular to that cell and changes that you see that might be elicited by some type of stimulation or trauma are, are being caused within that cell. And, and having that closed environment means you really have control over how you can, can um, define the biology and then try to understand what those uh, single cell sequencing insights are actually telling you functionally. Fantastic. Uh, uh, thank you. Actually, I did want to mention one other thing, if you mm -hmm. don't mind, and that's that um, working with the neurosurgeons here at Penn, um, we've been fortunate to be able to, at the time of neurosurgery, um, with um, uh, various subjects who have uh, agreed to uh, provide their tissue, we're able to actually now take samples of human brain at the time of neurosurgery and culture those so that we can now try to not just look at mouse and rat neurons and, and other types of cells, but we can also now start to work with human cells. You can never get enough tissue from human brain mm -hmm. to be able to do the large number of types of genomic studies that one might wanna do, particularly functional genomic studies. Mm -hmm. But now that we can actually you know, apply single cell technologies to the study of the small amount of human tissue that you get at the time of neurosurgery. Now it's really providing insight into how neurons function. Um, and also uh, many of the types of human cells that we get are from cancer tissues. So it's also provided some insight into variation in cell um, expression of RNAs and mutations associated with different types of uh, brain diseases. I can see that giving some incredible insights actually. You know, it, it really has been exciting as a scientist to see, and most importantly, now as a fundamental scientist, there's very little chance that I'm going to have an impact therapeutically. But I think the data that we generate can be used by people who work in translational science to try to understand the disease, create diagnostics, and again, better design or tailor diagnostics to individuals who, who, who need the therapeutic intervention. When you talk about personalized therapeutics and personalized medicine, now, single cell biology is perfect for that type of, of translational effort. And so I guess going from that, what are some of the big challenges that are associated with single cell sequencing more generally? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And um, you can pick up a, an issue of nature of science and you'll see somebody is sequenced uh, you know, this 100,000 cells in this tissue or that tissue or this species or that species. And it's all really exciting and interesting. But... Among the challenges are the fact that when we do single cell analysis, none of us are getting the entire cadre of RNAs. Mm -hmm. you know, one of the issues is how to convert that RNA into a sequenceable library and, um, or to isolate enough of the genomic DNA to be able to sequence it. And none of the techniques that we have are 100% efficient at doing that. And so I think getting better um, approaches for those initial steps in the creation of these libraries will give us a better representation of the RNA from single cells and the genomic DNA. And so I think that's one of the issues. Other issues um, include 
the fact that um, no two cells are alike. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to come up with controls. What would be an appropriate control for you know this these three percent of the single cells that you see that have a particular RNA expression profile? An expression profile is the relative abundances of the RNAs that are present within the cell. We coined that phrase again nearly thirty years ago, and the different RNA abundances within the cell can be diagnostic of cell type, can be diagnostic of disease state, and so say you have this small number of cells that have a difference in the RNA abundances for a subset of the RNAs, or they have um, particular mutations that you only see in a very small number of cells. How do you know that those are real when you don't have a good control to go back to? Yeah. And and so I think thinking about controls in your single cell biological experiments is critically important. And, And different people try to develop these controls in different ways, but there's really no great way of, of developing those controls. Um, the other thing is um, having access to the appropriate cells. When somebody talks about having sequenced uh, in, in, in the field of neuroscience, say a hippocampal pyramidal cell, well, that's, that's interesting and a helpful um, phenotyping of the cell. But there's so many different types of pyramidal cells. Where did you isolate it from the hippocampus? Are the cells that I'm sequencing that are called hippocampal pyramidal cells the same as what they're sequencing? Um, the other thing, and this is perhaps maybe one of the most important things to consider, is the analysis of the data. Yeah. It's relatively straightforward now to be able to sequence a genome of an individual cell. In fact, I have high school students in my lab who are doing that. Um, but how do you take that data and create knowledge from it? Data is not knowledge. You have to take that data and try to understand it in some some manner. And uh, the computational analysis approaches for doing this um, are developing, and some are 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 becoming quite robust. But none of them are are where we'd like them to be. It always takes a while for um, analysis to catch up with the biology. Um, and one of the reasons is. When we started this field, you know, several years ago, when I was trying to get some computational analysis of data, you know, this was now close to 30 years ago, I was trying to find people who would help and with the analysis. And many people, many of the computational people were shy about interacting because we had so few cell sequence. Yeah. So if you're looking, looking at, say, five to seven to 10,000 RNAs in an individual cell, but only from 10 cells, what kind of statistical procedures do you use to try to understand whether or not any changes you see are significant? Yeah. Um, and so, so I think that hindered the development of the computational analysis for a while. So when it became possible to do high throughput single cell analysis with the advent of high throughput sequencing and ways of isolating large numbers of cells, such as drop seek and in-drop and uh, 10x sequencing, um, we were able to get a larger number of cells, a larger number of RNAs, and uh, uh, statistical analysis programs, the computational programs, um, had enough data to start um, developing their own field of analysis and applying that to these data sets so that we then as biologists can actually apply them as well. So, um, so I think that's been one of the, the major issues um, in terms of, of development of the field. Mm-hmm. And then taking it in completely the other direction, I guess, are there any notable recent advances in single cell sequencing? Yeah, I, th- I think one of the most important things that people have 
been um, realizing is that a single cell transcriptome is interesting information, but I would argue that it's not enough. And I think many people nowadays would argue that this is not enough. And I think that's one of the fundamental insights. Um, what you really need to be able to do is what we call multimodal analysis. So not only do you want to sequence the transcriptome of a cell, but you want to have potentially a morphological analysis of cell, a functional analysis. Maybe you want to have genomic DNA sequencing as well, or maybe you want to have the proteome or perhaps even the lipidome. You want to get as much quantitative biological information from that one cell as you can. And then you want to try to take that data and correlate it and understand it in totality to understand the context of the function of the cell. I think that's really been one of the biggest advances is the recognition that people need to do multimodal analysis. And, um, and this, so, so there are a number of people, a number of groups around the world who are trying to do genomic DNA sequencing at the same time as they do um, RNA sequencing. They're trying to look at the epigenome. They're trying to look at the methylation marks on RNA at the same time as they're trying to do transcriptomics um, and, and trying to blend all these um, different modalities together to create a better picture of the biology of the cell. And quite frankly, it's easy for me to say, but it's so much harder to do in practice. Now, how do you isolate the RNA from a cell so that you don't lose it? And how do you isolate the RNA from a cell at the same time as you're isolating the genomic DNA or at the same time as you're isolating the proteome? Mm-hmm. They're different chemicals and have different chemical properties. So can you use the same procedures to isolate the material or do you have to separate them from the cell? Do you have to do some type of biological separation? If you do that, you're clearly going to take losses. Are you losing something important when you do that? Or, or, or are you um, getting a good uh, profile of, of, of the cell? So, so it's, it's really, really a hard challenge to face. I think it's multimodal analysis. The other thing is um, people are starting to do subset of their genomics. I mentioned that's work that we're doing now mm-hmm. and, and others are, and I think that's providing insight into fundamental aspects of health cells function. Um, other um, insights that have come um, is the idea of doing transcriptomics um, on cells in their natural tissue environment. It's yeah. called spatial, spatial mm-hmm. analysis, spatial transcriptomics. I think you've actually done some, some stories on this in the past. We uh, have, yeah, yeah. And um, so none of those, oh, I shouldn't say that. Very few of those are single cell. Some of the in situ hybridization based approaches are single cell, but some, many of the others are not at the resolution of single cells yet. But it is really important to understand the transcriptome or other aspects of the genome or cell biology in a cell where you know its neighboring cells are astrocytes or neurons, you know what cells it's connected to, where in the tissue it is, and what chemicals it might um, be. Um, close to or, or, or responsive to in that area, what's the concentration of those chemicals around the cell. And spatial genomics analysis um, is moving forward. We've had some nice advances, but we need many more. Um, then the other thing is there's been some rudimentary in vivo genomics where you can look at aspects of single cell biology in live cells. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're going to ask me about future single cell (laughs) um, because it's it's just a natural progression, Mm -hmm. but this is really the future of single cell genomics. And that's being able to look at all chemicals in a quantitative manner in live cells while they function. And so we, we developed a procedure, uh, 
a couple of years ago where you could isolate RNA from individual live cells. There are other people developing um, some alternatives to that or some modifications of that approach. Um, there are um, people trying to develop biosensors that allow you to detect various physiological states of individual cells. If you can, if you can identify those, perhaps then you can um, detect the RNA in those individual cells. One of the things that would be really wonderful to do is at the moment, most of these procedures that I've talked about are static procedures. To, uh, to be able to do single cell sequencing, you kill the cell and isolate the RNA or DNA or proteome. Mm -hmm. uh, it would really be nice to be able to do this in a dynamical way. Can you actually sequence RNA at time zero in a cell or detect it in, in a way where you know what the RNAs are? And then an hour later, after you've given a drug, detect the RNA in the same cell. Can you do single cell in vivo dynamics? And, and so that's starting to be done, that, done now as well. And so I think you know, there are advances that have been made, I think important advances in showing how this field can develop. But there are many more advances that need to be made to make it into a robust field and where we really need to go. Um, for some people, um, you know, my, my dad is a wonderful guy. Um, you know, he spent a lot of time working on the farm and for him, seeing is believing. And I think mm -hmm. that's true. I think that's true for a large number of scientists as well. Seeing is believing. So if you can actually see these things functioning in cells, see the RNA, see the protein, see how they interact, see the biological processes in real time, see how cells respond to biosensors, then you are going to gain so much more insight into what those cells are actually doing and, and how they're responding to the stimuli. Absolutely. And I think that's a beautiful example, actually. Um, and then finally, um, you've touched on this kind of natural progression. Um, but as we're almost out of time, I was wondering if there were any other kind of future directions you see single cell research heading into. Yeah, no, th thank you very much. No, I, it's there's so much to be done. You know, I already touched on multimodal analysis and, and hopefully making that better and more robust and many more modalities. Uh, in situ spatial analysis needs to be enhanced and made better. In vivo genomics, <coughs> excuse me. I think, <coughs> excuse me, I don't want this to be self-serving, but I think the idea of subcellular genomics and trying to be able to do that in live cells is clearly going to be important. But something that I have not touched on very much is again, trying to understand better what the transcriptome is telling us. So I think the application of machine learning and AI procedures to the analysis of the transcriptome is going to be important, particularly in light of multimodal analysis, where you can be, bring multiple data sets together and try to understand what they're doing in, in their totality. But mm -hmm. then the question is, what does it mean when you have differences in uh, 100 different RNAs in the cell, differences in the abundances. So say RNA A goes up 5%, RNA B goes down 20%, and, and all those changes. <laughs> what does that mean in terms of the function of the cell? So being able to understand what that means um, is going to require new functional genomics technologies that allow you to assess multiple RNAs simultaneously within the cell. We're developing procedures to do that. And I think there are a few other groups trying to do the same thing. So that if you see changes in the transcriptome of individual cells, then you have a way of testing what those changes might mean, as opposed to going in one cell at a time and do transgenesis, where um, you're losing the beauty and the importance and the information associated with the changes you've already identified in the whole transcriptome. The final thing that I wanted to highlight is 
that the field absolutely needs and is ripe for collaborative interaction, collaborative science. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm a genomicist, a biologist. I collaborate extensively with chemists, and three of my collaborations are with engineers in our engineering department here at Penn, three separate collaborations. My colleague, Jun Young Kim, is a computational biologist. And I think to move forward in this field of single cell analysis and trying to understand these various aspects that I've highlighted really is going to require the input of people who think beyond the biological insights that, that they're trying to gain. Absolutely going to require the collaboration of people from all these different disciplines. And it just harkens back to the birth of the field of molecular biology. Molecular biology was started by physicists who moved from physics into biology in the 1950s and 60s. And right now, I think single cell analysis um, will benefit tremendously from the input of people from these other disciplines. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. It's been brilliant. Lucy, thank you for taking the time and thinking about, you know, asking for this type of podcast, this type of uh, interaction. And I really appreciate your questions, your insight, and I look forward to chatting at some point in the future. Thank you again. Likewise. Thank you. Thanks for joining me here today. I hope you enjoyed James's fascinating insights into the world of single cell sequencing as much as I did. And please make sure you like, share and subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening from. And I really hope you'll join us again next time.